Welcome along to LOI Weekly. We're still in the lockdown, but uh, this show doesn't have any lockdown feel about it at all. We have a packed show coming up with Owen Doyle of Swindon Town and of uh, various LOI clubs before he went to England and Scotland. So a very, very successful career over there and may well come back home. Of course, remember, Daniel MacDonald did a really, really uh, in-depth piece with him not so long ago on the Irish Indo. And he's going to be on very, very shortly to talk about uh, lockdown in the UK and uh, maybe the potential for him to come back home to Ireland at some stage as well. We have Alan Pachel and Paul McLaughlin, the two referees. They're going to be on sort of the second half of the show. Given, uh, I suppose, behind enemy lines to a degree, just going to talk about refereeing and what it's like with the League of Ireland, the standard of the League of Ireland and things that they would like to see uh, improve. Dan, I suppose uh, there are a lot of things we'd like to see improve um, right now. Football coming back, stuff like that. But how, how is the lockdown treating you at the moment? Yeah, we're fine. I mean, in probably week five or week six or week is four. It? I don't really know. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm actually not having a bigger chip, but obviously you're in chatting and working. But I think... A lot of people probably here would have started that week, you know, in terms of, of almost yeah. midway through it. So I think Thursday at Cheltenham was the last time I probably behaved normally. As such, if you, you were know, in, in Cheltenham, if you were working in Cheltenham, would you have stopped going or do you think you might have come home, which some people did? Uh, it's, it's very hard to know, um, but I think I probably would have come home, yeah. I think if that was the vibe at the time, I mean, well, to be honest, I mean... It's, Ironically enough, I mean, it's no, I've no problem talking about this because it actually showed foresight. But I mean, I, I was pulled off a trip to Amsterdam in, I think, March 1st or 2nd. Mm. Uh, and that was the, an early sort of company awareness that, that sort of non essential travel needed to be looked at. And I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, at the time, I would have been a bit like, I'm not sure about that. And, and now, in hindsight, I'm very grateful for it because, um, I would have naturally been quite worried over the, 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 the weeks that followed about any movements as such. Whereas since then, I, I know <laughs> I haven't gone far at all. So mm. it is it is a it is a long old stint. All right, What's the know? week been like for you? Because this time last week you were saying you, you were chocker block with Stephen Kenny stuff. Have you been kept busy since? Busy enough. Yeah, not as busy as last week. You know, last week was exceptional and um, exceptionally busy. Uh, this week, again, getting into feature mode and working on some pieces that maybe we'll be talking about in the future, looking back over the years and whatnot. But um, so, so yeah, like at, at the planning stage, that still, still, still could do with a haircut. You know, that's obviously not too people bad, aren't it? really seeing us here. Um, you know, we might have some clips, but uh, you know, you have started off doing the podcast on your couch, then you did it at the kitchen table. And now people don't see what I'm seeing now, but I'm seeing Johnny Ward lying on his bedroom in his bed, like like in the days where Bob Geldof and Polly Yates used to be on the big breakfast together. Oh yeah. In the morning, yeah. They ended That's up in a well. they ended up in a doomed relationship. And um, obviously you're you're on your own there. So I mean I don't know. Living I, with I, three I, people, Dan, yeah, all rooms aren't always available, I suppose. Mm, how, how you find, I do I do sympathize with people in apartments. It's obviously a small bit more difficult you know it's absolutely way more difficult so I am Every, everyone that, is wrecking my head like including myself at this stage but you got a coffee delivery in today this is the level of excitement that you you have yeah i honestly uh have have barely bought anything for the guts of a year and a half and uh, i've kind of been quite proud of that because i think we have to maybe become less consumers and just get on with life whatever but in any event i went on a shopping splurge there the other day um, so I have about five different shipments coming. Two of them have already arrived. So do you remember the days when um, the Kellogg's packs they used to have like these things, you'd collect so many things you'd send off and you'd be waiting really excited yeah. as a child. And I always remember being really excited by that, whatever it was like, and 
I'd love to see actually back what, what Kellogg's were doing in those years because I've forgotten a lot of them. But I feel like that now. I'm just waiting in expectation for uh, the delivery to come of my uh, Adidas you know, football or whatever. I actually ordered a football, which which is, I don't know why, but I just ordered a football. You've, you've just ordered stuff for no reason. Well, it's, I mean, there is almost an LOI crossover because I did speak to Kevin Doherty the other day, uh, obviously draw the assistant manager who's been accepted onto the pro license. And he's a postman. And he, he said is. that, um, I think he's, whatever day I spoke to him, he said it, it was his busiest day in years, mm. in years. Just purely, because, just purely because of the amount of, just, people just using the post for whatever reasons. We're going back to, to olden times yeah. and and uh, newspapers are enjoying a resurgence in terms of the there's a delivery service of newspapers i know the indo has gone subscription and things going well but um as much as people are worried about newspapers I, I think a lot of elderly people are really enjoying getting the papers delivered to them and a lot of people are enjoying like just reading the proper news because they have so much time in their hands yeah it's obviously well it's early days it's still early days to that service but people need to be connected now i know i know later on we'll we'll talk about maybe after our guests we'll, we'll talk about where things stand with the league at the moment that i I don't want to get bogged down into a big debate in it because I do. I've almost formed the opinion that that getting knee deep into predictions, you know, definitive predictions, can is is not actually Always helpful to people at the moment. Well, yeah, I prefer predictions of winning the league, as you know. I, uh, thanks I don't to mind James people... Rogers, by the way, for sending me on um, the anniversary of that prediction the other day, which I thought was a lovely touch, really. Thanks, James, for that. But like, you see, I, I, can, I can handle people Ray calling... has just come in, by the way. The missus come in with orange and pomegranate San Pellegrino. Doesn't get better than that, son. Well, I mean, there you go. I mean, yeah. you're, you're really portraying a picture of sympathy uh, for yeah. you there. But, but I mean, as I said, it's one thing calling a league. It's another thing calling a pandemic. So, like, mm, I think, you know, okay. people have to know the limits of their predictions. And We uh, do have a few news stories, though, that, that I think are worth very... No, we, we'll discuss them, and I think we'll discuss the area of, uh, I think, mental health as well. And there's, there's, a, there's, there's a survey on that, and look, when mm. we talk flippantly about maybe things a bit, we're not, under, we're not trying to downplay or, or undermine in any way like the potential seriousness of what a lot of people are going through. But I think, yeah. in some respects, people want a small bit of light relief as well. So we will Would go you to call our show last week light relief for the two and a half hours that it was? I think a couple of people got their garage fixed and they got yeah. out for a run and, and whatever it might be. And we're got pleased married be, and got divorced at the same we're, time. Yeah. We're, we're pleased to offer that kind of service. But yeah. I think people will probably enjoy our, our what we've got next is a chat with Owen Doyle, who, as you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, a former League of Ireland player um, who probably improved across the course of his League of Ireland career and propelled himself to a, a very good career in the UK, which is ongoing. He is the, the he was the top scorer in England um, throughout the early part of the season through to to, to Christmas time. Like an unbelievable run at Swindon on loan from Bradford, and then eventually made that permanent move. But uh, I, I spoke with him at various times about getting him on the pod. Maybe not in the circumstances that we've got him on now, but uh, we did get a chance to catch up with Owen earlier and, and go through quite a few stories. Uh, from his time in Ireland and a bit of England too. Oh, and you're very welcome to the show. I know you, you sometimes listen to us when you're commuting, driving to Swindon, you know, three hours either way, a couple of times a week, and you're normally very busy playing games two, three times a week. So how are you finding this this change? Yeah, obviously, uh, anxious to get back, getting Nancy in the house here. So it's, um, yeah, it's difficult times for everyone, really. I think the plan at the minute, we've been told... A uh, bit of a loose plan, but it's a plan nonetheless that we'll be back training around the 15th, 16th of May with the, with the, I think, a two or three week program to go into the season starting behind closed doors on the 5th or 6th of June. 
So, um, yeah, no, it's, it's obviously difficult being stuck in the house and now from talking to lads, they're up in the air whether they should be taking this time to rest the bodies or just keep taking over because the season hasn't actually finished yet or, or which way to, to treat it. So it's, a, it's up in the air, as I said, but now we're just all anxious to get back, yeah. I mean, I know it's, a, it's obviously a very, everyone's aware that this is a very serious sort of health crisis and I know your wife Kira worked as a nurse so be very much aware of what's going on but so we're, we're putting all that in context and we know where football stands but I mean, from your own perspective I mean you want this season to 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 survive this is a, a goal scoring record um you know which is sort of top drawer like you don't want this to be erased from the record books here I mean you, you need this season to come back Oh, definitely. Yeah, from a selfish point of view, definitely. I mean, that's um, reason the club... enough for the whole thing to be brought back. I think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're aware. Then, only, you know, yeah. We... <laughs> no, but from the club's point of view as well, obviously we're doing very well, and I think we're a point off top of the game in hand, and um, obviously want to get promoted. But uh, I think the fair trying to take off the selfish hat, the fair thing to do is to get the league finished, and then because then it's fair for everyone starting next year. Mm-hmm. So whatever like compensations have to be made next year, everyone has to make them together on a level playing field. And then you can go forward from there, whether that be a competition, a cup competition now with a, the, um, the fixture lists or whatever, and a few, a few more Saturday Tuesdays in there. But I think that is the best option, yeah. It is a strange one. I mean, it's the same for the players in our, in our league here that, okay, they're only five games into the season. So it's a bit strange because some of them might be warming up. But... Now that you haven't played for whatever it is, you know, I don't know, five, six weeks or whatever the actual figure, I mean, can you tell in your body you haven't played as such? I mean, do you feel like you're naturally, as much as you're doing your whatever fitness work you're meant to do, I mean, can you tell you're going to need time to get back into it, to get sharp again when it, when it comes around, whenever it comes yeah. around? Yeah, definitely. I think the sharpness would be the big thing. The, uh, I, could, I could imagine that it'll be in that three-week program, I reckon there'll be a lot of games. Like, friendly's been put in there just the fact to get the match fitness back. Because mm. we've obviously we've got a game in hand with just 10 games, and they're going to try cram them 10 games into a short period of time. So it, it, it'll be a matter of getting the match fitness in as quick as possible so lads don't get injured, really, in that, in that cramped fixture list. So it's going, to be, it's going to be very interesting how it is. But I'd imagine the, the training program, they'll be crammed with a lot of friendlies and stuff. And... Um, yeah, I'd, I'd imagine that's the that's the way to do it. And I think from if, if people are smart about it, if you if you go for like everyone's gonna be in lockdown together and if or behind closed doors together, if they could get maybe some friendlies with like Premier League teams coming down to the lower leagues so people can maybe pay online to watch these games to kind of create a bit of revenue for the lower league clubs, that might be something that um I'd imagine they're thinking of. And um, it'd be a good way maybe to kind of get a get a bit of cash boost into the lower league clubs as well. It must be very difficult for the players and like League of Ireland players as well in that if you'd known all this in advance, you could nearly take this as your holidays like of sorts or you just stop training. But it must, you must be nearly 50 between a rock and a hard place in terms of do I train, do I stop, do I do full train, do I do something in between or whatever? No, definitely. I think about it now, like it's probably worse than the League of Ireland last because they're just off the back of a pre-season and nobody enjoys them. And mm-hmm. like realistically, they're going to have to go back into them when it, when it all starts back up again and I know lads are afraid to stop, you know, and you've got your fitness, you don't want to lose it. So so lads will be out doing their running when they can and, and, and trying to keep their bodies in good shape. And then obviously they'll have to go back in and, and get a bit blasted again. So it's, um, no, it's difficult. Like it's, it's something unheard of. None of us know what to do because no one's ever experienced this before. So it's just a matter of kind of taking as it comes. And I'm sure the, the sports scientists will be getting their, uh, their money's worth to be they'll be valuable, I'd imagine, coming into the next few weeks now when it all kind of starts coming back around again. 
so Owen, we're obviously looking almost to get some light relief from the news of what's going on at the moment. So, like, I guess, you know, we're happy to get you on as sort of an ex-League of Ireland player who's gone on to have a very good career. But if I say to you now, you know, what do you think about, like, how do you reflect on your time in the League of Ireland? What springs to mind? Is there a picture? Is there a moment? Is there a, a goal? Like, what, when you think of your time in the League, what do you think of? Um, well, it obviously made me, like, it, it, it was incredible for me. Like, I wouldn't, uh, when I would have been what, coming through at 18, like, there's no way I would have been able to do that in England. I just would have, if I was English, for example, I wouldn't have been able, I wouldn't be a footballer now, I wouldn't imagine. Um, I think the fact that I was able to get games in Ireland and at a good competitive level helped me massively. Um, I would have been a bit of a late developer in my body as well as such, where at 18, I probably looked about 15, 16, you know that way. So coming into myself in my early 20s or whatever, rather than, you know, a lot of young lads coming through now and you see that they're men before they're men. Um, so for me, like, in value, and there were so many big games. Like, I was so fortunate, obviously, come, coming through our overs, the madness of um, playing under Scully, then Jim Crawford came in and Michael, Michael O'Neill down for a short period before I went to Sligo. Then obviously the madness of that place as well under Cookie and, and some great times and some unbelievable games and, what a mad batch of managers there. When yeah, I, I feel like we should break these down by phases. I mean, let, yeah. let, let's just let's just go For back the first to the hour, let's there. do Pat Scully. Yeah, tell us about a dressing room with Pat Scully because there's there's a lot of stories out there. So we want to compare, you know, hype versus reality. I mean, what was the Pat Scully dressing room like? Yeah, it's now a couple of years ago. I bumped into him in the City West Shopping Centre during the summer, and uh, I hope you're wearing your club blazer. Yeah, no, yeah, no, he was. He came over to me and told me he made me the player I was and all that, the usual stuff. He was, uh, no, he was, he was good for me. He obviously gave me the, the break at the time. Um, I was playing for over 21s under Dave Campbell and I think I only played a game or two before Pat pulled me up into the into the first team. Um, myself and Podge. So it was... Um, no, it was... Like, I owned quite a lot in that sense. He mad. Like, you know, you come in at half-time, you won all, the, the physio table be getting turned upside down, there'd be... Bottles getting kicked left, right, and centre. Tiles falling out of the ceiling, all that type of stuff. And you never, you could never read him. You, you think you've done well, and you come off after the game, and he'd hammer you, and you wouldn't even know why. And it was just, it was just a madman, like. And but some of the stuff worked, and like you obviously got the club back from the fourth division up to the the premier premier division at the time. And that was the and, mad thing because um, his record for wherever he was in the league of Ireland was actually very good. Yeah, no, look, he was, look, he did, he, he had success at Rovers in that sense and obviously kept him in the league then and I think the first season we'd done reasonably okay, mid-table maybe for first time coming back and then, and then, um, yeah, whatever happened, look, he was mad, look, I know my, my, my debut was made off, me and Podge, I think, made a debut together at Ward for the way and like, we only made Organic, it he fell, yeah, yeah he, he, he fell out with about five players on the, on the team bus before and that's how we, we got to play. I was actually out having a few points with my mates on a Thursday night. Now we're near the first team at the stage. Dave Campbell rings me and goes, you're playing tomorrow against Wardford. I had to put the point down. I was like, oh. Did you finish the point? <laughs> no, no. It was, only, it was only on my second one. I took, the, I took the football serious. So I must have had a week. <laughs> so I put the, put, the, put the point down. I was like, you're serious? And he was like, yeah, listen, like, this isn't not going down to sit in the bench or anything. Like, you're, you don't have to play. Like, and I was like, oh, yeah, happy days. So I um, arrived for the bus the next day. Myself get onto the get onto the bus and I'm sitting maybe maybe three or four seats in the back and I just hear roaring down the front of the bus 
what's going on here? So Scully's going through a couple of lads and buzzers behind me at the back of the bus. <laughs> Next thing, buzzers, him and a show at each other and Scully's like, yeah, that's you. Oh, never want to see you play for me again. And uh, all this carry on. So that's me and Pod kind of, I don't know, Pod might have made his debut before me, but I, I made my debut that night the way to Watford. So it was, uh, yeah, mad, mad, brilliant though. Yeah, and I see your your relationship with Robbers, of course, as well. I mean, was this around the time that you'd uh, you'd met Kira's family already? Your 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 you you were like you were the Shamrock Rovers team went beyond football with you as well too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, Kira's family are all Rovers season tickets and holders and stuff. And the uh, first time went into the house, the outfit was waving a flag with the scarf on. The, the brother had the jersey on the lot, trying to embarrass me or embarrass her rather. So it was. Uh, <laughs> No, they've been great, but they, they still go up to the games and stuff, and they're always trying to get me back. And it's uh, no, they're great, great, great uh, Rovers fans, yeah. You were there when the, the change, like when the club went to Tala, and that was obviously, I mean, as someone who was a local lad, like you, you, you've seen a couple of sides of Rovers, like the end of the, the homeless years, as they were called, but then the transition into start of something completely different, albeit, I guess, I think you were frustrated yourself that you probably weren't playing around that time. Yeah, and I was obviously driving past that stadium for years, as even as a kid. I just remember being barren for years, this big hole and hole and tallow, like you're just going, boy, what's going on with this place? And I always hear the Thomas Davis stories and all that carry on. But um, no, obviously, when I was coming through, it would have been, we would have been at Talca Park. And then when Michael O'Neill was coming in, it was coming to, uh, it was obviously coming up to, to Talla. And they, they'd done it, the, the club at the time felt like it was shaped so much better. They were training in like kind of Sacred Hearts facility in Killing Arden, which is very good. And at the time was brand new, brand new, like 4G Astro ahead of its time. And did some nice pitches on the side. We were training there. And um, they had the gym across the road in the in the Maldon Hotel. And everything was together, like real, real close to the stadium, which is unusual. Um, even even over here in England, it's unusual. You could be driving to a training ground and coming back in change a half an hour away and all that carry on. It was it felt really good, like and everything was real, got real professional all of a sudden. And um not saying that Scully was professionally was like it was just the, the whole club itself felt like it was going that way, and um, yeah, so I would have been there the night the, the first game tickets were you just couldn't get them, like everyone knocking on the house and everything looking for tickets couldn't couldn't get them for anyone. Um, mm. I just remember like the police horses and crowds everywhere. There was definitely more people outside that that couldn't get in. Um, like I remember me, me dad being at the game and afterwards telling me there was grown men crying and stuff because they waited so long for this. And it was uh, it was brilliant to be part of. I actually played against the games against Sligo on the day I ended up being at Sligo. Then a few months later, so it was uh, no it was great times for the club, and they've obviously kicked on since, and they're they're doing very well now. What did you make of Mick O'Neill? Sorry, Dan. What did you make? Because he's he's always a manager that's really intriguing me. Um, and in terms of just this unbelievable success he has, what what was your understanding of him at the time, or your reflections on him? Yeah, he was very good at breaking down. Um individual parts of the game so like if I'm thinking back he was one of the first managers I ever had where he'd work on the strikers for a session and he'd tell you this is what you need to be when the ball's over here you need to be here and doing this and, and that and that type of thing um, he was very good at breaking down and doing his homework and the opposition and I remember we I think the second game of the season might have been against Bray away and I can't remember the result it might have been a draw but I remember coming into training and the Couple of days later, and he, he like he was apologising to us, us the lads, because he says he he obviously doesn't know the league enough yet, and he, he can't do enough homework on the opposition. And so I'd imagine going forward, I, I wasn't too long there after that, but he, he really got into like analysis of the opposition and this is how we're going to beat them and, and and stuff like that. 
So he's um and like you, you look at his career, like he's had nothing but success. He's done unthinkable mm. things everywhere he's been. Even before Rovers at, at Breek and he was doing very well over there, and that's obviously how he he would have been how he got the job at Rovers at the time. So like you can't, you have to give him credit. It's interesting though that yourself and, and Podge, as you mentioned, Porigamon, that you both essentially had to to leave Rovers, you know, for for experience, and and both ended up using Sligo to some degree to uh, to propel yourself to the levels that you have now in terms of actually making a sort of sustained career across the water. Yeah, definitely. I think um, Rovers at the time would have been like squad very heavy, you know, like. A, would have been Gary, Gary Twig, I think Toy Porcelain would have been still there, Desi Baker, Podge, myself, all fighting for these these spots. Sometimes when you play one up front, you play two up front on his own. So it was like it was gonna be really hard to get in. Um and Sligo, like obviously amazing for me, amazing for Podge as well. He he wasn't there very long before he got his move. So it's um now we owe that club a lot. Yeah, it's best time, best days of my life down there. I knew that the minute I left the place. So I'm so walking away from the best couple of years. I'll never get these couple of years again. It was just so much fun. Just yeah. all the lads. You just it's proper community feeling down there. Like it's obviously a massive football in town as well. Um, such a small population. I think like ten percent of the population is still go to the games. So like that's that is the mad thing about it. like Sligo and Dundalk, and maybe even Sligo more so than Dundalk. Once you're in that town, you know when you're walking down the street, people will talk to you, will recognise you. It's a proper football town. Oh, it's huge. Yeah, it's huge. Like if well, if you put it into context, it'd be like Rovers having ten thousand at every game. It's a hundred thousand people in Tallaght or so. So that that's what you're looking at down. Like it's just everyone loves it. It's proper the heartbeat of the town, and you're you'd be walking, you'd be getting half price on dinners and stuff and you're going out for, <laughs> for food happy and, days yeah yeah every second point would be free if you, if you that, that's with stuff, Cookie like, you'd say though is it <laughs> oh, Cookie yeah some character of him yeah but the uh, no it was brilliant half like, price <laughs> yeah coming across him as well like and you look at the success he's had in his career he was massive for the likes of me and Pudge but he obviously brought together that great atmosphere as well because, you know, as you were probably alluding to there, when you were playing under him, it was a special sort of team bond where you were all, it was proper crack, I'd say. Like. Well, he was in the middle of it. Like, he was driving <laughs> this. Like, myself, myself, Matthew Blinkhorn, Alan King got a, a house together and two days later, Cookie moves in next door. <laughs> three, three days later, he's, in the, he's actually in the kitty for the field shop during the week. So, like... <laughs> 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 dictating, dictating what we have to cook him for dinner at the end of the night. And you'd sit down, you'd have your, you'd have your dinner at about five or six in the evening, and he'd say it's a Tuesday. Like, come on, we go up and have a couple of points, lads. <laughs> Welcome to round, having a couple of points. The four of us, and that was just the, the way the place was. And as you're walking up, you might knock on Danny, Danny Ventry's door on the way up, and before you know it, there'd be six, seven, eight, ten of us in the pub having a few points on a Tuesday. And it was just that type of that type of camaraderie there. Like we all just lived out of each other's houses and. Like all the all our our boys and girlfriends are all still very close now and best of mates and it's just um the way Not he did it like, that the way, though, like yeah. you, you mean you, that's probably the one thing a manager would be told never 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 get too friendly with the players yet he obviously was ah stop yeah like he like he sits in the back of the bus so you're you're tra- you're traveling like usually you'd be on a, a team coach a manager and the star with the front nah, he's he's down the back playing the cards. <laughs> and um, getting everyone, getting everyone involved and stuff. He's he's great, like you, and he's that type of character where you, like you just want to you want to run through brick walls from. He's that um, he's that lovable and 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 he knows his football. You can't you cannot have a conversation with him unless it's about football. You could try talk about something else, talk about a car. Two minutes later, he just switches that over to talking about football again. He's probably mm-hmm. in love with the game and he's got some eye for it. Like he he sees things that he'd be on the touch. Like say you're on the bench and he'd be on the. 
obviously in the dugout or whatever, looking at the game, and he'd say, look, look what he's after doing over there. And I was like, what? What's he done? And then two minutes later, bang, got to go, walk, going through and scoring against us. And he just has that eye where he sees the, the picture of the game he has. Mm. It's, it's phenomenal. And I mean, Owen, like I, I've been talking about a piece with you before Christmas and, and people may not realise that you actually are still, although you're playing uh, for Swindon, you're living in the Liverpool area, basically. And you're, two of your close friends there, closest friends there are Danny Ventry and John Dillon. So that, if people say you don't always make friends in football easily, but I mean, you have. And, and that's Ligo Rovers' time. That legacy still lives on for you. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And like... Matthew Blinkhorn's only up in um, living up in Blackpool. You see him quite often as well. And um, if got if if we were very close to if if Gavin Pierce to li- if Gavin Pierce was living in Liverpool, we'd be living out of his house as well. That's how close we also are. But the uh, yeah, honestly, an incredible time. Like proper, like um, just everyone loved each other, and that was all down to the cookie really. Like he done his homework on, on um, personalities as much as ability when he was getting players in the door, and it was um, and it worked. Like four season, I went down there. We were scrapping for our, to stay up but as League of Ireland does I think with two or three games to go a couple of teams went bust so we kind of knew with two or three with two or three games to go we were safe I remember walking out with the showgrounds against Strada and I think Ian Ryan was playing centre back for Strada time and the two was we lived around the corner from each other growing up walking out and he was like did you hear about I think it might have been Derry maybe at the time did you hear about Derry Derry are gone I like, oh yeah, here, yeah, that's both of us are safe, we're safe, oh lovely. And like, that's the way, <laughs> the game, yeah. that would have been a game, that should have been a game, two teams fighting, scrapping it out, ended up turning out to be a bit like a testimonial game in the end. But the, um, and then obviously the next season is when like we started, that first season actually we got to the cup final as well, that would have been the Tala, um, mm. the Tala cup final against Sporting Fingal. And then there was three, loads of cup finals, like three cup finals and FEO cup finals in the bounce. I think it's, a, I think it, uh, a League Cup final as well that we played down in Sligo against Monaghan so um, a lot of success and then obviously the year I left they went on to win the league so a very successful period for the club yeah I mean I think you, you told me a story about a player who was teetotal before he moved down to Sligo and uh, I didn't name him until I spoke to Aaron Green around a month or so later yeah. and, he con- <laughs> and, and he confirmed that it was him so I mean it, it was a very as you know you mentioned it with, with Cookie before like it was a very social environment. Like it was actually, it was allowed. I guess you know that was part of the the the, the attraction of the place. If lads were all going to live away together, they probably had to to do a bit of that. Yeah, definitely. Like I'm like I'm I'm, I'm saying it here as if we were, it was like Mike Bassett and it was uh, mm. lads out drinking all the time. At the start, it felt like that. When I first went down, I went from the professionalism of Michael O'Neill and and. Um, how like he was going about things and he'd come in like three months in, Michael O'Neill come in and go, he'd have a list, he would have been over to the gym in the Maldron, would have asked for a list of all the players that have been through the doors on their own time. And unfortunately, me, me and Cy Madden used to go up daily, but Podge yeah. didn't. Podge got an awful time off from over that. He was that professional about things. And um, obviously gone down straight away to Saigon, was a bit, little bit looser in that sense where lads are out having a bit of fun or whatever and, but to, to be fair, the years that we started to get successful, that that died down a lot. There was no, like, there'd be no midweek drinking, basically, put it that way. There was no, like, sneaking out of flats at eight o'clock at night when you're getting itchy feet or whatever. It was um, it was more just that lads were on it then. And then yeah. like, on the week on the weekend, we'd all get around each other and have a good blast. <laughs> but you, you, you became obsessed with your diet. That's one of the things that, that was a turning point for you. 
Yeah, huge. Yeah, um, Jim Lachlan. He signed um, Jim Lachlan. I think he well, came from Dundee, one of the, one of the Dundee clubs. Had a great career in Scotland. He came over to us at maybe 33. Yeah, 33. And this fellow walks into the dressing room and he's ripped. Ripped. And like you, you get to talking to him and he's weighing his food. He's writing it all down in the diary. And I'd never really came across. And I never knew anything about diets. This is pre-iPhones and, and all that stuff. And he was like... Um, he was like, yeah, no, you need to get on your diet. You need to get on your diet, and he kind of drilled that into me. And um, that would have been the that would have been the so that would have been the first year of the cup final that was in the Aviva. Um, he left then, and in that off season, I was like, no, I need to. This is it now. Like I'm 23, 22, and I was like, if I need to, if I'm gonna have a good career at this, um, get a good wage out of this league, and I was thinking at Gavin Pearce at the time because Pearce would have been a high earner in the league. I said, like, we need to get to them wages, like. It's gonna, I'm gonna end up having to go back in the tools if I don't get there. So I'll, um, I'll have a go. So I went down and bought a men's health magazine. And I literally, because uh, that's what Jim used to read. And um, I literally opened the page where a man had his diet in that had these rock hard abs and all that carry on. I just covered, I just did the exact diet he did for six weeks and trained twice a day. I went back into the season flying and then would have got, got, got a move at the end of the next season. Yeah. So it's just, I mean, it's funny how things happen like that. that you, you have that season because it's, it's a striking thing, I think, in recent years, like Shawnee McGuire and, and certain players that it just seems like it clicks and it's almost hard to explain how it happened, but it just happens. And like you're having one of those seasons at that at the moment, but that season in Sligo before you left, it just out of nowhere, even the perception of you as a player within the league seemed to change almost overnight. Yeah, I think there was another factor as well is that we were going through, it was early in the season, we were going through a bit of a, so I would have been playing a lot on the wing um, and I would have got a few goals from the wing here and there. Look, as a winger, I would have been quite a good, uh, a very good goal scoring record as a winger. Um, but he, our, our strikers at the time, Blinks and I don't know who else was playing up front, we, they had went through a bit of a, a dry patch. And Cookie used to always say to him, where's your favourite position? I'd say I'm a striker and he'd laugh at me. And he says, now you can go out there and, and do the running on the wing for me. And um but then like, they were going through the dry patch, so we just mixed it up one day. I think we played Bray at home, and I scored a hat-trick, played up front, scored a hat-trick, and that was it then. I just he played me up front for the, for the rest of the season. I went on to score, a, I think I got 25 that season, and then obviously um, kicked on from there. But yeah, just he was able to... Obviously, I go back to the personnel he brought in. He had to bring in the likes of Jim, something totally different that hadn't been there. and Maybe like he would have looked at him from the outside in, going, right, he's had success in Scotland. I've looked at him, I know what the type of character he is. He might be able to do good for the young lads here. So they start going on the right road. And obviously it did, like it worked. And, and then obviously to be able to switch my position in that way. And um, I was talking to him, I was talking to Alan Colley there recently about him. And he, he, he was saying, like, what's the best piece of advice you ever got? And Cookie was one of them where he's like, double down on what you're good at rather than trying to fix what you're bad at. And he'd mm. look at me up front and he's like, don't be trying to hold up the ball or anything. You just run away. And the, the lads will find you. Just keep running into the box, be on the shoulder all the time, all the time. And um, and that that's that's stood to me like I was able to score a lot of goals off the back of that. Yeah. So like you've you've now gained a, a real experience of the football industry now. About you know you've moved from club to club. You've had good spells. You've had bad spells at various places. Um, and this year has been a, a particularly good spell. I mean, is there a part of you though that still thinks you'd like to come home at one stage? Is, does that linger? within you or are you sort of on the fence a bit about that? No, definitely. Like, um, long term, we'll definitely be moving home to family. Um, I think before the season started, it would have been something I might have been looking at now coming into this summer. I would have probably wanted to move home. Uh, move home. Like, 
But obviously, mm. with the way the season's gone, I think it'd be, be silly of me really to, to move home now, considering what my options will be this summer or next season or whatever it's going to be. So, yeah. um, no, I'll definitely I'll, we'll, we'll put another couple of years over here, but I'd definitely like to, I'd like to win the league at home. That's what I'd like to do. Um, I'm mindful that I don't want to be too old. I don't want to be going over and it'll be a team that won't, that won't be challenging, that'll want me at the time. So I'll, um, I'll take all them things into consideration. But no, I'll definitely, I'll definitely be moving home. I definitely want to, want to grace the league again. But um, it'll probably be another couple of years, yeah. I know mm. people kind of um, compare, you know, the League of Ireland to the lower league clubs in England and to an extent in Scotland as well. But like when I was going to Cheltenham there uh, in, in March, I passed the county ground actually on the train. And um, for some reason, when I was a kid, I had a fascination that year that Swindon were in the, in the Premier Division and the ground probably hasn't changed much. But you're playing at a, you know, you're playing a really good stadia, um, good wages, you know, proper, proper football industry. And I guess people maybe sometimes need to be reminded of that when you're playing at the level you're playing at. No, definitely. I've obviously played in a lot of the, the divisions now over the years, gone from obviously Scotland to, to League 2, League 1 and the Championship, and there's differences in all of them. Even from when I moved from the League of Ireland to Scotland straight away, it was just like, oh, this is, this is much different, um, much more intense and f- physical. And even gone from League Two to, to League One is different in style of play, not maybe as much physical, but from League One to the Championship, then you're looking at just absolute athletes. Like you, it's hard to keep up with them. Um, and then so there there is there is differences. Like, but you you look at I, I think I know people in the at home want to think that the League of Ireland is better than the lower divisions in England, but it's it's I can't say it. I don't want to be rude and say it's not, but it, there's no comparisons really. Like the for example, like I've we played Plymouth away, eighteen thousand at the game this year. And um, we've had yeah, we've had about four or five home fixtures this year, especially in the last previous ones where it was fourteen thousand at the games. Um it's it's a, like imagine that in the League of Ireland. It just it's um that hasn't been seen since what decades and decades ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's, in, in some senses as well, is it the consistency of the opposition, like you know, like you're never going to play a part-time team in League Two, you know. Like you have Rovers and Dundalk recently, a really good standard of game and good level, and two really fit professional teams. But like that's every week in the lower leagues in England. Whereas at home here, it's obviously, and that's what I always say to people when they talk about comparisons that the, the leagues in England are a proper leagues. Whereas here, it's way more. The, the the level between the top and bottom can be huge. Yeah, there's there's probably leagues within the leagues at home. Do you know, like yeah. the, the the obviously the difference, the lads that are the ones that are challenging for Europe are so far ahead of the ones that are on the bottom half of the table as such. Um, over here, it's like yeah, it's it's. I think the conference is even all full time now. That just shows you the this mm-hmm. the, the strength. So you're looking at over a hundred clubs all full time, and it's religion over here. It really is like this is the football, everything. Like, and um, I think at home is also. It, I know people don't really want to hear it, but the fact that the Gaelic is. Is there as well is gonna gonna hamper that for for League of Ireland clubs trying to compete and such, but it's um no it's very competitive over here and the fact that there's so many teams as well in the leagues like there's we forty six league games like that's in League One League Two in the Championship loads of teams like ninety two clubs stretch across the four divisions it's um and all all with good good fan bases as well so it's it's a bit of a different animal really. Just just fun. We did a special sorry Dan we did a special on Stephen Kenny last week how do you expect him to get on? Yeah, well, he's another another manager that's only ever had success really. Like I know he did a bit of a blip at Rovers, but he he's gone on and done so so well in, in the league, definitely, and and obviously done very well for the twenty ones as well. Um, yeah, no, 
listen, good stuff. He plays the style of football people have been craving for forever, really, for Irish teams. So, and when you when you listen to him speak, his his confidence and how he wants his teams to play, you know he's gonna go and try adapt that style into into his team. So it's gonna be um, oh, it's gonna be interesting. It's one I'm looking forward to. Just just finally, um, before we let you go, I mean, I know you're also you know, you're into your sort of business interests as well. You've had various projects. You've had a childcare company at home. I mean, during this stoppage now, I know you've got kids running around you in the house, but are you still reading up, learning, looking at other things or trying to use that time productively? I've never had less time in my life, if I'm being honest, these kids. Really? Yeah. Ah, oh, stop. It's uh, up, up from six o'clock and then it's carrying until about eight o'clock at night. So by the time that comes around, I get me running then and then it's just to bed. So now it, it's worse now. Usually be in a mm. hotel maybe twice a week. I get a few hours to myself to kind of read up on things, listen to a few bits, and um, but now it's uh, I feel like I've no time at all. The minute it's different than what most people are experiencing. I imagine that that don't have kids or maybe their kids are a bit older, mine are so young. It's just hectic. Yeah, I feel sorry for Kira. Can't believe I ever dealt with her before this. <laughs> what with the Rovers connection? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, she, to be fair, she graphs, she graphs hard. She used to always complain about Saturdays because obviously that's a day, no school, no pressure. I can't do that hard. Oh my God, I can't believe she does it. Yeah, it's, like, it's, like Paul, it's like Paul Cook trying to look after the Sligo dressing room on a night out, you know? But, um, yeah, exactly. Although actually that would suggest that Kira was more of a problem than the kids, if you get me. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure if that's a good comparison, but listen, Owen, it's been actually great. I mean, it's great to have you on. Um, hopefully we'll have you on again. You never know, at some stage in the future, we might have you back on as a, as a, as a current League of Ireland player, but I know you've got a bit of work to do in England still. So um, Excellent. great to have you. Thanks for having me, Thanks a million, Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Owen. Bye, bye. Uh, Dan, before that interview, you said, you know, we, we may not have envisaged talking to Owen in a lockdown, but it, it probably served the interview quite well And that, you know, um, he's not going to be saying, oh, we have a big game coming up at the weekend. It's important we get the three points. Having said that, I haven't spoken to Owen Doyle before, but not many interviews come as refreshing as he does. Yeah, but I think, I think like I find sometimes in, in this job that, it's great to interview guys when they're 21, you know, and they're, and, and we've had great guests on the show and like younger guests. I'm not generalizing. Like you'd have someone like Jack Byrne or Fred Lee Desmond who's obviously a bit older and people who can speak very openly, but, but generally experience makes people more interesting in terms of all the things that they've seen in the game. And I'm sure Ondo was always like that anyway, but I, think, but I think that like, all the various things he's seen in pe- in football and all the characters he's worked with and uh, you know been able to reflect and look back on it now and the piece I did with him for the paper before Christmas maybe more so dealt with his moves within England and transfer deadline day he's moved like a record amount of times nearly on transfer deadline day but I think mm-hmm. that like, that gives you a great insight into the game and and that it's, it's a serious business, but also you can't take it too seriously. And it's almost like you're balancing act between, between the two. And, and generally, you know, it, it's, it's in this time, like you do find people are going through, like say legends interviews and stuff like that. But the reason so many of them can be entertaining is because there's a removal of a passage of time from when oh, it actually absolutely. happened. Absolutely. And it would have been harder for Owen Doyle as a Sligo Rovers player to talk about the manager being in the pub with him the night before. Um, but obviously, yeah. it's a bit different when you. When I you was just back. trying but to. Well, like Paul Cook's had a great um, career in management yeah, as well too. But you know? looking at the, the managers that you know he spoke about there, Mick O'Neill, Paul Cook, um, gone on to gone on to great things. Um, obviously, mentioned Stephen Kenny at the end. But I and Pat Scully, I was just trying to imagine Pat Scully down the back of the bus with the lads. 
I was just trying mm. to imagine how that could happen, what it would entail, and what the crack would be like. Well, I, I could the, imagine down the back yeah. of the bus and lads, but everyone else would be. Rota. Yeah, he's getting <laughs> everyone else would be. Everyone else would be in the front but at that point. Yeah. The Paul Cook story, like I, I know I've heard this or that about Paul Cook, but uh, I find that absolutely amazing. That. Uh, he could be one of the lads and effectively so successful and maybe it worked particularly well because it was a small provincial club but fascinating stuff that maybe that sliding doors moment in his career was doing that like six week kind of training program as well and, yeah. Um, yeah. you know I guess there is an inspiration there for players as well if you are young um, I was actually thinking of this myself the other day like when you get to our age and I'm, you're, you're even talking about playing Astro, you, you do regret when you were younger that you didn't just work harder and just play ball more even when you're younger because it passed you by quickly and he took that upon him and became a better player for it. Yeah, well, I, I, so he, he's come up in discussions I've had with a lot of sort of League of Ireland players that his career would probably inspire a lot of them, you know, and and, and, and I mean, I'm not, I'm not slagging him because he sort of said it himself that he wouldn't have been up to it at 18 in terms mm. of going away that he basically went from being average enough to suddenly being exceptional within the context of, of the league here. And, um, you know, we, we do have a culture of, of late developers probably in our football industry for a variety of reasons. Um, but, but, but someone like Owen would obviously be an example of, like, not to, not to give up and to persevere. And I think for anyone, you know, 21, 22, like, it's not, it's not the end if you haven't necessarily got to, to where you wanted to go. And as he said, like his aspiration initially was just to get to, to Gavin Pierce's wage yeah, rather than necessarily yeah. to, you know, to, to go and play Look the games years, in England. Eh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, exactly. Rovers, obviously, they, they looked abroad for a striker. They looked everywhere for a striker. Eventually, they said, we want to sign a red-haired Irishman. It wasn't him that was Rory Gaffney. So is this like the end of Owen Doyle coming to Rovers or could it happen that he will be back in the league and perhaps that he's in-laws beloved Shamrock Rovers? I, I, I mean, I, I predict that it will happen at some stage they will end up at Rovers. But, I, but as he said, and again, like any footballers listening to this, people are pragmatic. Like, mm. It might have been looking like a good time for him to come home but he's scored, what, upwards of sort of high 20s goals this season. He's went in our big club as well, Dan. Like. Yeah, but, but it, I mean... Whatever about that, like I think he's only signed with Swindon until the end of the season, whenever that season mm-hmm. is. And like you know, he's he's shrewd enough. Like you know, you you, you manage your contracts. He, he'll get really attractive offers at the end of the season from a variety of clubs. And it's a short career, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like you know, he'd be mad not to explore that. And the reality is that you know, Shamrock Rovers were able to get someone like Rory Gaffney because he had fallen out of favour. And a long yeah. move with Walsall hadn't gone well. And that's like, I, I do hate, like, I don't like the comparisons between, and we, we discussed it with Owen, mm. the theme of comparisons, I always find it frustrating, almost for the reasons I said that there is no comparison. And that, but that's not to be negative about the league here. It's just that the industry over there is so huge. So, Wyndham were in the Premier League, if not surely, that long ago. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like the wages that, um, I spoke to Stephen Bradley about this as well. Just you're looking at players anywhere in England at all. It's very tough to compete, even for Rovers. And particularly for you know strikers who are scoring. The irony about Swindon, of course, we didn't even mention the Lee Power connection, which is obviously yeah. re- you know relevant to to Waterford. And I mean, at the same time, this this crisis that is ongoing at the moment um, is quite worrying for the lower leagues in particular because. Mm. While they are ma- massive and they have massive crowds, it's more a championship and league one level where the wage bills are, are extraordinary. And like, we, we, obsess, we obsess in this country here about you know clubs losing X amount of money or 
try to run a profit and you know in some respects hard experience has has raised the bar of what we expect that we would be horrified now by reports of losses and there's no doubt that even our top clubs here are, are running at losses you know but but the the figures in the championship are terrifying exactly. really and and it's possible that that bubble may burst to some degree as a consequence of this but um you know it's it's it's, it's at the same time if you're getting 18,000 people to your games um, you are able to generate income and get going quickly again and that's always going to be attractive to 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 footballers here and and until like we need to have that base standard of our league where we don't have part-time teams really in the Premier Division but at the same time people will actually not like that statement because that's not to say they don't have a place in it it's just that to get a real le- measure of our ability you would need a fully full-time league and when we don't have that it's almost very hard to compare our league to other ones around us because you know it's such an unusual unusual setting and as he said mm. even the conference everyone's at the same level because they're all doing the same stuff and over here it's, it's harder for clubs to, to do that yeah as much as i've enjoyed these reminiscent pieces like you know we're probably slightly getting our fill of them at this stage and what was nice about him reminiscing was that all these characters are essentially still knocking around and they're knocking around at a very high level as well in the don't say we're getting our fill johnny it's april we're gonna have to roll out some more of this stuff all right yeah, I, I spoke to a journalist about this during the week. And we were we were both agreeing that we actually are enjoying them, but I, we just want to see sport back. But anyway, we're not sure when that's going to happen. Um, Alan Pachel was the PFAI uh, First Division Referee of the Year last season. Paul McLaughlin, to my mind, should have been the Premier Division uh, Referee of the Year. He might win that accolade in the future. Top referee. We got the two lads on to chat about uh, life. Uh, I guess life uh, wearing black. We're now joined by referees Alan Pachel and Paul McLaughlin. How are you getting on, lads? Yeah, all good, Johnny. How's it going, Johnny? All right. How are you finding the lockdown, Alan? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. I'm, I'm still working away, so I have that little bit of uh, freedom going into work and stuff like that. So I'm lucky, you know, but um, taking along. Sure taking along. Anyway. I'm a telecoms technician, so I'm kind of working with phone lines and broadband and stuff like that. So um, we're out there still trying to keep people up and running as they're at home and stuff, you know, so we're very busy at the moment. What about yourself, Paul? Yeah, similar to Alan, um, I'm still working, um, as, as you know, I'm a guard, so busy enough with work at the minute, we're doing kind of longer shifts, um, but nothing to complain about, keeping where well, I like, and then the days I am off, um, three kids in the house here to keep us on our toes, so not much time for ourselves, but I appreciate there's an element of sort of confidentiality about your work, but like, what have you actually been engaged in? Are you out sort of stopping people on roads and that type of thing, or is it is it more, you know, active day to day police work? No, well, Dan, a few years ago I took up a new role in the guards. I'm in the firearm, unit, arm sport. Right, okay. So um, I, I I I came off the regular unit about two years ago. So. No, I don't have, I'm not like the guys, um, the uniform lads are going around doing a lot of great work in the communities, helping the people that need a bit of help with prescriptions and messages and doing checkpoints around the block. I cover County Louth, Cavan and Monaghan. So everywhere I go, there's checkpoints and, and the, the, the colleagues are doing great work. Um, that's not the, the side of the job I'm in at the minute, but um, the, the, the guys in fairness on the street are doing a great job. And... The community has uh, given us a lot of support, you know, they're, they're glad to see us out helping and doing our bit. Hopefully it doesn't last as long as they're uh, forecasting. Hopefully there's an end to it at some stage, but um, 
colleagues are doing great work at the minute. So. Mm. I don't know if you watched that program inside the cave that was on recently right into the you know the day to day challenge people face the sharp end of that line of work as such. Yeah, yeah. I I've seen I think there's maybe four or five episodes. I've seen the first two, possibly three, and I'm I'm a little bit behind, but yeah, it is a bit of an eye opener. Some people don't realise what it what it is like um on the street. People are a lot more sympathetic to, to the lads on the street now when they are going about doing their job, seeing the stuff that they're facing, you know. It is comparable to a referee in a League of Ireland game. <laughs> uh, give me, give me a ninety minutes and a field play any any time. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I suppose some of the attributes are, are are the same. Like you know, you have situations where it's kicking off people. You're dealing with people who are not volatile, but they're they're excited. Their emotions are quite high. Um, if the decision's gone against them, so you just have to keep cool. So facets of your work do come in, into play when you are taking charge of a game. Um, I suppose I'm with experience like I'm 18 years in the guard now in the League of Ireland nearly 13 seasons so with experience you, you learn to when, when situations or tensions are high just to try and keep a wee bit of a level head and generally if you do that players and, and members of the public who will respond to you better than you're not losing your head as I say when everyone else is losing theirs so no I, I prefer Give me the 90 minutes of football any day, Johnny. It's a nice release to get away from. The, from yeah, the, we can uh, get back to Alan as well, but just just yourself. How did you get into it, Paul? There's obviously, uh, there's obviously a notion out there that referees became referees because uh, they weren't good enough to play or other reasons. But, like, is there is there a difference? You know, I'm, I'm kind of only half joking there because pr- people probably believe that. But why do people become referees? And what's the, I suppose, the joy one gets from the job? People fall into it differently. Mine was totally the accident. Like, I was, I was playing football all my life up in Donegal playing soccer hurling Gaelic the whole lot and um, then when I joined the guards I got transferred down to Monaghan and I continued to play Gaelic and travel up and down to Donegal as much as I could work permitting and just to get involved down in the Monaghan scene I signed up for a wee local soccer team in Glasslock and I played there for a couple of years just to get to know a few people like and a little bit of crack and train it was easier to train when I was down in Monaghan so I did that for a couple of years and um one summer I got injured playing uh, championship up in, up in Donegal, play for Burke up in Ashburn, and I couldn't couldn't play football. Um, I, I totally ruptured um, my leg. I couldn't kick ball for nearly nine months. I could still, after a while, I could still run, but um, I was me out of the game for a while. And in Monaghan, that stays a kind of a summer league or a pub league, if you call it what what you call, you know. Lads just playing for a bit of crack, and um, I was watching a the game there one night and. For a reason, the referee didn't turn up, and as I say, it wasn't serious football at the stage. And they asked me, I knew most of the lads. He says, "Well, geez, will you stand in the middle?" Just they wanted a bit of a kick. Around. Kind of so by accident, like. but totally by accident. I had absolutely zero interest in doing it. I was there to watch a match, and I got dragged in. So I did it, and I enjoyed it. In fairness, the game went all right. This isn't too bad. And as I say, it wasn't a competitive league. It wasn't a serious FAI structured league. So the referees were just there to do a bit of a favour. So I did another game, and I got wind there was a. It was a beginner's course starting in a few weeks. This is sure I do it for the crack just to see. Uh, so I did it, and for long, um, Dennis McGardle, the next League of Ireland referee, heard that I'd, I'd a young guy from Mona had taken up the whistle. So I was only 26 or 27 at the time, which is late now because there's lads coming starting on the League of Ireland panel 18, 19, 20. I was 28 before I got on the League of Ireland panel. But going back to it, Dennis heard one that I'd taken up the referee and travelled over. Um, 
and he took me under his wing and he was at a lot of my matches, gave me a lot of advice. And when the School of Excellence came up for the League of Ireland, Dennis put me forward and, and Pat Kelly accepted me. And that's, that was my route onto the League of Ireland panel. So I have to thank Dennis McGarrell for that. He took a, cha- a chance on me. I hadn't been refereeing that long and he, and he put me forward for the School of Excellence. And as I say, I got on the League of Ireland panel 08 and I've loved it ever since. Alan, what about your own story then? Um, quite similar to Paul, I suppose. I was playing pretty much every sport that I could, the time allowed, really, you know. Um, I was playing in the Lens Senior League at the time, for, for actually for the guards, believe it or not. Um, I think they were in 1A in the Lens Senior League, the intermediate divisions, and for some reason we just struggled to get numbers up all the time. It was really difficult kind of pulling guys out, come on, come out and play for us and stuff like that. And after a season or two, I kind of just got lost the love, really, of it, you know. And... Um, I remember one time I went home, my mom just said, would you not do a referee course? I was like, referee course? No, definitely not. But uh, we signed up and we went along with it and turned out really enjoyed it. So uh, we kept on going. I mean, we started off in the DDSL, kind of worked way up very much like Paul, 11, 12, right the way up. After a couple of seasons there, went into the Leicester Senior League, um, refereed kind of right up to the levels then again and just getting more experience and more experience. Then at the time then the... Um, DFEI were running a school of excellence program for referees so they kind of what they do is they kind of identify young referees with potential and stuff like that that they can work with to hopefully move forward and make better referees so um, Ian Stokes is the, is the head of that in DFEI and they take on a number of referees every two years and they work with them through much of their programs and we keep going with that right way up and hopefully then things went well enough then you get up onto the league Ireland panel obviously with a lot of hard work and stuff like that. So we kept working with that and four seasons ago, it's the fourth season, I think now, fifth season, I got onto the League of Ireland panel. So it's kind of been a, a longish road from, from when I did the course 11 years ago. Um, so yeah, so quite a journey from there to now, but you know, enjoy You mentioned uh, Pat Kelly, obviously, Paul. The, you know what, what we've seen Alan go on to achieve. Where, where, when you when you reach the League of Ireland, is, is that sort of seen as almost like the pinnacle of what you can achieve or is there that higher aspiration to go even further again? I suppose what Alan's gone on to achieve, you're, you're asking like making a full-time career out of it. That, that was never an aspiration because it wasn't a done thing here in the League of Ireland, you know. Just to get on the panel was the, the first challenge and stay on the panel you know you're you're, you're judged after every game every season it's just get your foot into the panel progress um, I suppose the highest thing you can achieve domestically is, is getting yourself established as a Premier Division referee and then if you're lucky enough to maybe possibly get one of the international FIFA badges and in fairness Alan's uh, departing for America was was lucky for myself as he left at the beginning of the 2014 season and I inherited his international badge um, because I was coming to an age, if you hadn't got it by, I think it was 32 or 30, 35, I could be wrong there, it was my last season, so it was just kind of by luck. If Alan didn't get that career opportunity in, in America, I thought I would never have got a FIFA badge, time was running out for me. So that was a bit of luck for myself, and what Alan's gone on to achieve in America has been fantastic, like you know, um, he's a big loss to us. Is he the uh, best we, we referee still, that we've produced in Ireland? Um, in my time, obviously, he's achieved the most has been established Champions League referee and, and World Cup qualifiers, etc. Best referee, um, the current referees we have, like I, I rate them a lot, very highly. Like, you know, back when Alan, Alan 
was established that we also announced as we had Ian Stokes, who was neck and neck. The two of them were, were uh, rated very highly um, at the same time. But Ian was very fortunate to get a bad Achilles injury and it just restricted him. And then he had to retire very early. Um, and Neil Doyle, I put Neil up in comparison with any of the top referees. Um, definitely in, in, in Ireland and European, his games in Europe are fantastic as well. But in terms of what Alan has achieved, yeah, he's a standout referee, um, certainly that I recall. Um, always great working with him as an up-and-coming referee, you know, if you travel up the city, I'd work as sports official with him, or vice versa. If I was down in Cork, he might be sports official to myself. And great to, to bounce ideas off, and as I say, he's still on WhatsApp groups, and he dropping around like text or Twitter message for some of his games, and, and he gets home quite a bit and comes to a few of our matches, and... Um, is in touch with a good few of the lads, but that's to be a full time referee in Ireland. It's, it's it's not it's not attainable, and it's not a thing that we can just do a few years here in the League of Ireland and mm. jump leagues to to England and become a full time referee. That's that's just, it's not the way it works. If you go to a different jurisdiction, you're just starting down the bottom again. Yeah, and in terms of how many referees would would generally kind of um, be called upon to referee games uh, in the League of Ireland, and like. They all obviously have slightly different traits as well. You, you came to my mind initially when I remember being at a game and I just thought you let an awful lot go in a positive way. And so you probably have that reputation for being more inclined. But what's the actual pool of referees are all told? Are they different in terms of the way they referee games, markedly so? I know I've met you a few times, John. You said that to me a few times. I let a lot go. I think there is a compliment in there somewhere. Actually, I highly complimentary, yeah. I'm only messing. Like, I let them kick lumps of each other for 90 minutes. But yeah, as I said before, like I grew up playing football in Donegal, playing Gip in Donegal. There's quite a bit of contact, you know. Um, but the instructions we all get as referees are obviously the laws are the laws. Um, I do, I do let quite a bit of physical contact go once players don't cross the line. Like as you say, they all know me at this stage. This I've refereed. 10 seasons in the Premier Division. I know all the players. They all know me. They know what's successful. What's but not the players exactly. probably enjoy that as well, don't they? Yeah, well, I think in fairness to, to, to all the referees in the, in the League of Ireland, it is a probably a more physical league than other leagues. Um, I, don't, I don't think any of our referees are overly fussy. Um, I'd say when they go to European games, the club games, the referees probably more pernickety as opposed to what we punish. Um, once again, referee, once a referee feeds in control of the game and player safety is paramount, obviously, if players are lunging into tackles and, and disregarding anything you say, well, you have no option but to blow the whistle. Mm-hmm. But players are honestly going for the ball. And I suppose that's what I think of a bit of a feel for. You get to judge what's an honest call. A slightly mistimed how a player, what intentions is about just to take a player out of it. Like, you know, and you, you gain that with the grain. So no referee wants to be the star of attraction blow a whistle every two seconds we know that the fans hate that players hate that managers hate that but sometimes if players are kicking lumps of each other we've absolutely no option but yeah I would be considered one of the more lenient but saying that if something needs punished mm. I feel that I have to do the job otherwise you, you lose all credibility if you're just letting as I say kick lumps of each other for 90 minutes Adam, no Go ahead, Dan. Sorry. So, sorry, Alan. I was just going to say, Alan, that like from your from your own journey up, sort of starting in say schoolboys football, like how did you find the adjustment to the senior game? You do hear tales of um, you know, the sidelines of schoolboys games being pretty intimidating and unique in their own way. Parents and 
various people. And then obviously you move to senior level and there's crowds and it's sort of a different, maybe different type of pressures. So like, how, how did you find that transition and what is more challenging? Is it schoolboy games? Is it senior games? Definitely schoolboy games. <laughs> um, but no, I think from the start, I mean, lucky kind of making a transition from player to referee. I was kind of playing and refereeing at the same time when I first started. So it gave me a good grounding working with players and forming relationships with players and stuff like that. And being able to talk to players as well, I think it's massive. Um, you know, and you, you can see that players do appreciate it. You know, when you're, you're timing to have that positive relationship with them and see that the lines of communication are open. Um, it makes everything a bit more easier, you know what I mean? In terms of the transition then going through from, from senior football, obviously there's, there's major differences. You're obviously dealing with adults, which is which is a massive difference, you know, that kind of way. In terms of crowds, obviously you've got bigger crowds in the League of Ireland as opposed to Leinster Senior League. You don't hear much. You don't hear, obviously you can feel the atmosphere, you can hear the atmosphere, but in terms of individual things, what people say, you're, you're 100% focused on the game. You're not concentrating on anything else. You, you've got but, to be but focused. Do you, so do you make a decision and think, sorry, Dan, do you make a decision that all re, all, like immediately anticipate there's going to be a roar from the whole crowd here because they know that that'll be a 50-50 or is that kind of on your mind in the background? I don't think it can be. I, th- I think you've just got to judge each challenge and each situation on its merits. Um, you know, I suppose kind of you're taking the emotion out of it, out of the decision. You're going in, you're, you're judging it on its merits. You're you're giving it what you can each decision, and you're so focused. You're not really worried on what's going on apart from players and what's going on in terms of the game. You know, so it's it's I suppose it's a difficult one, but you're you're so fully focused on, on the job at hand. All the outside stuff, you don't you don't take that to the to the to the table. You know. But when you started off, though, did when you started off at schoolboy level initially? I put this to both here, but like. Do you hear every chant or every shout at the start? If there's only 10 people on the sideline, in a weird way, do you nearly hear it more in a strange way, Alan, you know? Yeah, of course. I mean, if you're starting off and you're, you know, you're going down to the local park or whatever it may be and you can hear the parents or you can hear whoever it may be, you know, the referee is this or what are you doing or you're blind and stuff like that, you will, you will hear it. It's kind of developed this thickness, this thick skin and say, you know, it's, I can hear it, but it's not it's not making any impact. It's not having any impact on my decision making or anything like that. It's it just we try and let it roll off, you know. So so tell me this. So Paul, so let's just say it's a Saturday morning, Paul, and you know maybe you've had a game the night before and it's been a bit it's been on TV maybe and it's been controversial or maybe even you're thinking that I get that decision. To mind there. It's usually it's controversial. Let's not go specifics, Johnny. Let's not go specifics. But in very general, in very general terms. Do you watch games back? Do you look at coverage? Do you, you know, do you analyze in that way, or do you try and not not pay attention to it if you've made a high profile oh, no. decision? Yeah, we analyze it to, to the last. Dan, mm. every game you go in at halftime. Some of your colleagues are watching it online, or they're watching. You'll have a clip of every incident at halftime. When you go into ninety minutes, you'll have a clip, and the colleagues on the panel tell you straight away mm. you made a bollocks for that, or you got that right. So. Yeah, you know, we analyze everything. And if a match is on TV, I'll record it. And there can be any amount of reasons why the decision has gone wrong. And, you know, you could be in the optimum position and just the last second, a player just runs across your vision and you just impede it. And then you're relying on help from an assistant who's watching offside who has 101 different things to watch as well. So sometimes you could have got in the optimum position and just for reasons out of your control, you can 
read decisions. You can make mistakes and mm. read this, uh, tackles wrong as well. But no, now I'm the first to put my hands up. Uh, if I made a is it fair to um, say that you're in a league that is primarily, um, you know, involving players who are fairly honest? Like there isn't all that much play acting going on. Yeah, yeah. In fairness, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, there's very little simulation in league, as you say. We all know each other inside out, and in fairness, some player is uh, prone to the odds fall over his his own colleagues will pull him out on it um very i, I can count one hand of many yellow cards i'd probably give him for really even to be honest yeah more yeah, so just, international games yeah well international games is obviously yeah. probably a different kettle of fish but but just to go back to that team slightly and maybe even turn to you alan that and it's something i've always asked referees before and i, I mean i'm covering games for like 15 16 years and it was a controversial decision but you can't really stop a referee afterwards and, and ask their opinion. It's not the done thing for referees to speak afterwards. Like, would you would you welcome that opportunity? You know, would you, or do you accept why it's sort of not the done thing as such for referees to give interviews after games, unlike in other sports? Where I think it's might. kind of a double-edged sword. I mean, sometimes, as Paul said, like we're, we're the most critical people when it comes to decision um, decisions. We're overanalyzing things constantly when we're looking at this decisions we made and, and clips and stuff like that you know and obviously there's readily made clips available from you know a multiple of games every week in the League of Ireland clubs are, are filming and stuff like that so even where I'm primarily based in the first division we can we can get the majority of games so we can see we can see pretty much everything but I mean I think I think it, it could be positive for the game referees coming out and saying why they gave certain decisions I mean you see numerous other countries they're coming out and they're saying why I get the decision. I mean, the, the communication that they have possibly with VAR. I mean, you see in Australia a couple of months ago, they brought out the clip where they were going, it wasn't live, but I mean, they were showing the interaction between the referee and, and the video referee. And he was explaining why he get this decision and obviously vice versa and why he think he should have a look at it again. So I do think it has positives, but again, it's it could be a double-edged sword where my people couldn't get the understanding of why a certain mm. decision was made. But I, I could see the positives. Oh, what's your take on that? Yeah, well, like the majority of the time before we leave a ground, if there's an issue that needs discussion, either a controversial decision, the manager will approach you. And generally, they come into the change room when things have settled down. Someone will have the clip on a laptop and nine times out of ten, we'll sit down, we'll discuss it, we'll agree to disagree, or the, myself, put my hands up and say, listen, I got that completely wrong. I can't reverse it back. I got it wrong. But do you understand why I got it wrong? And it, nine times out of ten, there's no issue that way. Um, so it's very rare you'd leave a field or leave a, a stadium without having a discussion with the manager if he feels aggrieved about a decision. And, and as I say, it's generally done in a respectful manner. And the respect when you put your hands up and you, you say you, made it, you, you got it totally wrong. Um, Relation to the media, I don't think we'd have any issue. We actually discussed it at the seminar maybe two or three years ago. Would we have a problem speaking to the media? And I think by and large, the majority of it says no, no, no problem whatsoever. As long as we, it's, it's not going to be a question and answers debate, obviously we're not going to discuss every decision of every game. Mm -hmm. But if there's a penalty or a red card and, and it's a live game or a live broadcast and people want to ask the question, no problem um, explaining their decision. Because there's nowhere to hide anymore. The decisions are so readily available. And it's, it's, it's clear, everyone has seen it. If you've made a mistake, you've made a mistake, you're human. And, you know, none of us are, are burying our head in the sand thinking we got it correct. And players accept it 100% if you, why you've made a mistake, if you explain the reasons why. 
nine times out of ten, you're refereeing one team and you've made a mistake again. Within a month, you're going to be refereeing them again or you're going to be fourth official. So the player's going to be straight up to you asking, well, did you watch a back ball? And you have to be honest with them. Otherwise, you, you lose all credibility if you're constantly saying, no, I got it right, I got it right, I got it right. Players just, yeah, you know, as I say, all your credibility is gone. Um, That's the one thing that I, I suppose players would probably really resent. Like this, if you don't have any sort of maybe leeway or there's an arrogance there, I think surely, I guess if if you if you talk it out, the player will say, well, fair enough. At least you're arguing the case here. Like, and you, as long as there's an admission at one point or another that you might be wrong. Yeah, well, as that as Alan says, it's man management. Like you know, um, I suppose when you start off in the game, you you don't want to talk too much. The players are totally concentrating about getting their decisions right, and I suppose. As a young up-and-coming referee, observers and our mentors are telling us, just focus on your decisions. Don't be trying to over-engage with the players. They might even, you know, the more senior players, they might try to get in your ear or influence your decisions. But as you, as you, as you gain more experience, there's no problem explaining decisions. But then there has to be, you have to draw a line. You can't be explaining why you give every throw and every tackle. You'll have players in your ear for 90 minutes, and it's just, mm. even from the stand, you opposing fans will say, well, he's constantly talking to one team, one team, one team, you know. Mm. So it has to be a draw line. You, you, no problem discussing a decision if, if the ball goes dead or if there's an injury or something like that. Or even, as I say, coming out in the second half, players will have gone in and watched the footage of, of a decision and referees, nine times a ten, will have the same footage. And you have to, you know, you have to be honest if you Just- got the decision wrong. Just to, to, to bring it back a bit, um, I was at the I was at the same table as you, both of you actually, at the PFAI Awards, which um, I don't think any of us were happy with. You were with journalists and I was with referees. But um, <laughs> um, the same night, Michelle, Michelle O'Neill got the Premier Division Referee of the Year. And um, I, I think it's been a, a great story, her progress as well. in um, and, and also, I suppose, just kind of women coming into the role of referees, which you see a bit more than certainly when I was younger. Yeah, like uh, I suppose that's the great thing about the league and I suppose the PFU as well is that people are so accessible, you know, that kind of way, especially with the PFU awards. Like it really is a great night because it gives people, everybody involved in the game, an opportunity to mix and, you know, discuss the season and, and stuff like that, which, which can only be positive, you know, in, in terms of, in, ter- in terms of the, of the PFU award that night. I mean, obviously Michelle has had a great couple of seasons. She's done really well. Um, everything internationally and stuff like that that she's done and, I suppose the players on that night, they wanted to acknowledge that, you know. Um, mm. A lot of the players, they've obviously been on games with her and stuff and they've they seen her progress and they've seen how much she's come on and stuff like that, you know. I suppose in terms of myself then, listen, it's, it's always great to receive personal recognition, you know what I mean? But at the end of the day, I suppose when you do receive that, it's, it's even more of a, you know, it, it's more of a good thing that the team around you are, are pushing you on and, and they're there with you as well, you know, because... Listen, I'm sure Paul will agree. We're, we're nothing without the team around us. We go out every week, you know. We kind of live and die by the people around us, you know. So, overall, I think it's, it's just a positive thing, you know, the PFI Awards. Just, uh, I guess, before we wrap up, if I could ask both of you and um, myself, what one thing would you change to make it better for, for the referee? Jeepers. No, you have me. Um, I suppose, given the previous regime, um, not mentioning any names, like, Funding towards our League of Ireland was abysmal. Like, you know, everyone listening to this podcast is going to agree, and I'm not going to name names or get into any fight with anybody within the FAI, but the League of Ireland in general was was neglected, and I think it's fair to say the referees within it were neglected also. The funding, etc., that we received, um, I'm not going to 
going into the ins and outs of it, but the funding we received uh, is laughable. Like we were funding ourselves, which um, wasn't on, but we just hope going forward now, and there was signs of it, but the new regime, um, they're very positive meetings with our own panel reps. Um, they're looking to do good things with us. We, we have good people within the FAI, John Ward, Tom Connolly, even Rob Hennessy is now working within the referees department. So we just hope that we're actually given um, a platform at the table, you know, we're, we're part of the League of Ireland family. Um, the clubs, as I say, w- would have felt neglected over the years. And we hope now that the League of Ireland is prioritised a lot more. Um, I'm talking about the League of Ireland, I'm not talking about refereeing in general. But, 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 like, but, but I was going to say, Paul, like for people who didn't necessarily, um, you know, who aren't aware of that story at the time, I know it's hard for you to speak about it in detail, but I mean, it did emerge that, you know, referees were paying for some of their own kits, for some of their own headsets, you know, for other aspects of things that you need to do your job. And I know that there was a stand then taken at your annual uh, seminar with regard to this. I mean, do you feel that that did raise awareness to some degree that maybe, I don't think a lot of people were aware of that, to be honest. So do, do you feel that it, it has sort of raised awareness of your position? Definitely, uh, definitely. So as you say, people within the media were aware of it to a degree, what was going on um, over the last 10 seasons since I've been here. Like, um, it was the last thing we wanted to do, you know, especially we had a new man taking over, Tom Conley, an ex-referee, like he, he's mm. our boss now, and he was only in the door. And it was the last thing as a panel we wanted to do, but we had to make a stand at, at some stage. Um, and without going into the specifics of it, yeah, definitely the new board members who have come on have engaged greatly with our panel reps. Um, we couldn't believe some of the stuff that was going on in previous seasons. And immediately we've noticed the difference. Um, hopefully now the season was only getting up and running and things were getting more positive. But it was laughable. Like when you compare it to, to, to other countries of similar stature, you know, the same couple of associations, the funding the referees were getting in, in those countries was was a lot more substantial and like as you say we've had to dip into our pockets a lot um no referees in it to make money but certainly you can't go losing money and yeah. purchasing your own gear like it's, it's it's laughable so hopefully that'll improve we'll, we'll leave it in the hands of our rep to engage with the fbi but that's the one thing going forward referees wise i hope along with the whole league of ireland that the fbi now prioritize us all um and and, and do put the money into it you know the promises are there i know the, the, the economy is going to be after the situation we're in it's, it's hard to tell and i know it's hard to make a point looking for funding when there's more important things but hopefully in the future that the league of Ireland continues to get uh, more funding and we progress and the standard you're saying the standard i think the standard is fantastic and it keeps progressing year on year that you know the players in the league are young ambitious you see many's gone over to england and abroad and the football they're playing like it's not it's not football as it may have been considered 15, 20 years ago on dodgy pitches. It's, it's outstanding quality football now. And you see the coaches like Tom Mohan, Stephen Kenny. So a lot with League of Ireland history. And I hope that continues. And the standard is very high, in my opinion. How would you change, Alan? Yeah, I'm trying to think about that. Wait, Paul is talking. Does, uh, it's buying you a lot, it's of, difficult. Buying you a lot of time there, Alan. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Um, that was a hell of a diversion tactic. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah I think, listen, it's no, um, it's no hidden thing, the kind of the, the stuff that's been going on in terms of ourselves over the seminar and stuff like that. I definitely agree with Paul. I mean, it's it's a case where it, it had to be done at that stage, you know. Um, it, was, it was a shame, obviously, we had a new referee manager come in, um, an ex-referee and stuff like that, and 
as Paul said, it was the last thing we wanted to do, but I just think over the course of time, it just built up and built up and built up. And mm. it gets frustrated. I mean, when you put so much time and effort into things and, you know, you're, you're not really getting it back, but um, it, it's, we can see signs positively changing now. Like even since, since the league has kind of been put on hold for the moment, like, I mean, they're in constant contact with us in terms of online education and stuff like that. Um engaging with us in terms of fitness programs and stuff you know so like obviously we have our own our own whatsapp group and stuff like that where we're in touch with each other letting each other know what type of fitness work we're doing and all that um so that keeps morale up and that type of thing you know but there's no obviously there's no exchange for being out there and doing games and stuff but with online stuff and we can look at match clips and that type of thing it does keep your mind active and keeps you going so when the league does come back we're prepared and, you know, we're ready to go as quick as possible, you know? I, I did have uh, one. This is a yes or no answer. There's only yes or no here. There's no in between. VAR, yes or no, Paul? No. Alan? No. Thanks for coming on, lads. Peace. Take care, boys. All the best. Bye-bye. All the best. It's probably something, Dan, in the um, history of the debate about the FEI and, you know, what happened or didn't happen in terms of things not being properly looked after. The referees weren't necessarily high on the list in terms of the discourse, but obviously had very legitimate grievances as well. Yeah, no, they did. And, and it's, it's a strange one because I probably would have spoke to people around the game who maybe wouldn't have had massive sympathies for the referee referees purely because the referees' fees are actually quite high. Mm. Um, but that's not the, an issue with the referees. That's In many respects, the referees' fees got caught up in the management and the budgeting of the league and, and charges that were put on to clubs and, and that almost, it was classic divide and conquer uh, strategy, which was like typical of the FAI of that time and that almost everyone had enough of a sort of resentment and distrust of everyone else because they were all kept apart and that's not necessarily, that's not, they weren't necessarily under one roof. So um, I certainly, I, I knew there was issues with conditions, but when I, when I heard like that, you know, very basic stuff like the headsets that the referees, as I mentioned, all their referees and assistants need to communicate with each other. They had to look, go funding it for themselves. They got some gear eventually from the league that was uh, ill-fitting and just not of a sufficient standard. So they had to go and look into it. And again, you know, this is around the time when we had pretty expensive hotel stays and uh, mm. you know, assistant managers earning a quarter million quid a year whatnot so yeah um, the, uh, the, we're not going to go over last week's uh, discussion point again but it's it's fair to say that the referees grievances were fair because as Paul said like um, you know none of them are, are, get, are getting rich out of, of what mm. they do um, the VAR thing was interesting in the sense that because it probably hasn't been spoken about as much in terms of fans enjoyment I'd say referees must absolutely hate it it's like they're just kind of there to give the decision from above at times and it takes it probably takes an awful lot of their enjoyment out of the game I, I, the, I, the, to me the word VAR and interesting don't belong in the same I don't think we've ever moment. discussed it on um, LOI probably Week just as well like, yeah. I, I mean I think the only good thing about the lockdown um, no the VAR the only good thing about it is we haven't had a VAR debate in, a, in our lives for a couple it's of months it's an interesting and, news story there VAR debate shut down in boosts for such and such thanks to the this, coronavirus this is where this is where Corona we're going to be Trump. This is where we're going to be, but like we obviously don't know like when we're going to be back. And I mean, even just to wrap, like um, it's I'm sort of following up in my, my earlier discussion that we don't really know. Um, and I, people want certainty. We all want something to cling on. We want some hope. We want some date. And 
Well, I saw you saying on Twitter earlier that you think the leagues will kind of go back somewhat in unison, which is interesting if it's a summer and a winter league, um, a completely different schedules. Yeah, and I, I think that, I mean, it's very clear to see from the broader government strategy that they're now at the moment, they're being guided by what's happening in, say, Austria or Denmark mm. or, like, you know, again, there's that element of harsh ruling head with a lot of how we interpret news at the moment. And we see countries easing restrictions, we're like, Brilliant, you know, yeah. but we have to almost see how they work, and that and that's mm. the key. And I think I think football is going to move hand in hand with, you know, it's going to be down the list of things that return, but it's it's going to be guided. I don't, I don't think we're we're not Belarus here. Like we're not going to take a singular view uh, and just plow ahead without caring what anyone else thinks. That's not, you know, that's one of the things about not having that type of regime. Like we're not going to do that. And I, mm. and I think that also presents one of the challenges. I know you have a quite positive view on, um, not to misrepresent your views, but you have a positive enough view about the idea of closed doors football. I would be on the opposite end of that. And the reason I would be very much on the opposite end of that, and it's a view that I know is shared by people involved, not unanimously, but it would be shared by people involved, that it's quite likely that whenever we are given the green light to I guess, permit gatherings of any description that are sporting. It will be happening in England too. It'll be happening in Scotland too. And, you know, it's very likely that they're going to be exercising. Owen Doyle even mentioned it. Like they're preparing, they're mentally almost preparing for closed doors. And the, 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 the figures that have been spoken about in terms of like the amount of games that they want to play in England, whenever they do return, you know, it'll be seven days a week. It'll be full on. And the broadcasters will want to get bang for their buck and whatever. And that's going to be very hard for us here if we suddenly want to try and, you know, put out a streaming service. The way that the streaming service would work and get huge figures would be if you did a Belarus on it and you were the only thing on. But if you're not doing that, then all the other arguments, and that's without going into the arguments about actually the ethics of it, you know, how it's going to work. And I don't want to go down that road because, again, you can you can depress yourself talking and thinking about it too much. But obviously there's... I, I'm very hopeful that medicine will come along and... and 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 other places can show us the way and show us Every, everything back. changes obviously if there's a vaccine because you can work back from that then so that's obviously the long term hope but of course until then, but, but the, until the vaccine, then we're just kind of we're just kind of just hoping hoping that they'll take sports quite seriously and and do something because if 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 we don't go behind closed doors in terms of crowds at matches um i think people are going to behave very well for months and months to come because they'll be very conscious of this but i think racing will be one of the first ones dan i think because they've done it before and hopefully then sport might come out of that like field sports but if it's not behind closed doors i think we're probably talking a good bit away and i'd be only hoping like maybe a month behind closed doors two home games two away games and which are effectively two fundraisers for your local club um, with sponsorship, uh, with the stream as well. And as much as the Premier League's an issue, there's a lot of, a lot of the Premier League games are dead rubbers as well. And I wouldn't be as worried about the Premier League. Unless I, anyway. I, I, I have to admit, I would be. And, and like, okay. you know, I'm very conscious that we are we're doing this with our sports, but also like, you know, for, for broadcasters as well, like they will, you would need things to be very relaxed because, you know, to, to send the crew even to cover a game, like you know, there's a lot of people involved, and there's, 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 you know, you have to be conscious of of that. And so the, the so the alternative to that is you put out a substandard stream that doesn't look very good, 
and like the stadiums, our stadiums don't look great full sometimes. They're definitely not going to look good empty. Mm. And you're talking about like five games in a round. Throwing the first in, division. Uh, you're talking nine. I'm just saying, John, you're talking nine Remember games. in Highbury when they put a fake crowd behind the goal? We could do yeah. that at the grounds. Like, yeah. <laughs> but, like, or, or even make it more realistic. So have, have little gaps and have Tom <laughs> walking around. But like, I, I'm just saying that like you're talking nine games in a, in a round or ten games in a round. Sorry. With the, I forgot about Rovers B, of course, Rovers 2. Like, mm. You know, it's a lot of people. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just saying that, like, like I, I spoke, I've done a piece this week with a, a guy from Limerick, Connor Nestor, who's based out in Cambodia. Now, they haven't had, um, and the pieces will be going in later this week into the paper. So they haven't, uh, they, they actually haven't had as many cases out there. But they're, they're again, an unofficial lockdown. His team have returned in blocks of nine to training this week, you know, on separate days, nine training. And um, that's certainly in Spain, and you see it. And this is the thing, like we're talking about matches, but even the lead-in to training and all that is going to be quite significant. So yeah, I just don't think we, can be, we can't be flipping. But, but my, mm. my general approach to it is that in a, in a month's time, we will know a lot more. And I think Absolutely. this is a crunch sort of two or three weeks that we're probably heading into in, in a lot of ways. And... I don't want people to start reading a Sports Illustrated article or reading something and say, well, this is it, this is it, this mm. is it. Like, you almost have to just take a breath as hard as it is because we're sitting around a home, so you don't have much else to think at. Think I about do have, There's um, an element of, of just, like, let, let it develop and, and see I, what happens. I do have a lot of sympathy for, you know, both of us have been maybe uh, to the gym at various parts of our life. And once you start, you want to keep it going. Can you imagine being a footballer who's gone through pre-season, has been seven games in or whatever it is, and then your body just gradually shutting down and not knowing, like not being able to keep that up. It must be very hard. And the mental health side of it is something that the PFAI have approached as well. Yeah, and I mean, this, the survey they did through FIFA Pro, like it, it showed that 62% of players are worried about their, their future as a professional footballer. I think it was as a sample size of 63 players, but that's still significant enough because you don't actually have a massive membership as such, you know, professional players in the country. And then even the, the those that are displaying symptoms of anxiety and depressive symptoms that are, I mean, the point has been made that the, the life of a footballer in Ireland is stressful as it is because there's always mm. contract stress. It's hard to get a mortgage. It's, it's hard to plan beyond the year. It's very few players have much year contracts. So the, but even still, the normal levels of, of, of those stress symptoms in Ireland, we are now at a level that's way above that. And, but that, and, you know, and it's not just about like the, the, the stuff about money and, and games. It's about structure. It's about order. It's about that routine, as you say. Like if you're, if you're a footballer, you're almost trained, particularly those that have been in the system since 14, 15, they're almost trained not to think for themselves, which is obviously a, maybe a downside of the, of the game. But I mean, they always have somewhere to be at a certain time, and their whole life is dictated by a, you know, we're doing Monday, Tuesday, Thursday this week, or whatever it might be. And when that's gone, like it's difficult. It's it's very Absolutely. difficult for people. So, but but and again, I just think that's why we have to be careful in the language we talk about prediction. But I'm also like way enough. You have to be realistic with people too, and be honest with them, but also be conscious of sort of um, dramatic language about everything being screwed. Like let's let's just see. You know, let's just see how things play out and hopefully, you know, hopefully there's there's better times ahead that will provide a, a small bit more certainty for people. Because I do unfortunately think that there does come a point in a month's time, in five, six weeks' time, where calls will have to be made if we're not any more educated. But Absolutely. I don't think we need to predict that yet. Um, there were two massive developments in the League of Ireland this week. Um, obviously, one was that there was a best of LOI weekly show put out on Air Sport at half twelve. 
which would have been sort of half a rock eleven and half twelve. Half twelve would have been a, a Roxas report type uh, times, you know, when effectively nobody they call them drunks and insomniacs watching the TV. <laughs> you could, well, you could flick over, watch it, actually. You could flick over from the Trump press conference, like you know. <laughs> yeah. Now let's uh, w- one has the ravings <laughs> of people who don't know what they're talking about, and the other one. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, yeah, yeah, that was one story. Rory Higgins, though, this was an, a really intriguing development. Rory Higgins. Oh, how have we got this far without even mentioning yeah. this? We're, we're coming so, towards the end. Yeah. Rory Higgins obviously played under Kenny um, at Stephen Kenny at, at Derry. I think they developed a very good relationship there, blah, 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 blah. Then he's plays for him um, at Dundalk and then he's coaching at Dundalk. He does opposition analysis. When Stephen Kenny uh, joins the Irish set of Vinnie Park takes the job and Higgins obviously becomes his assistant. I have to say, Dan, I didn't see this coming. But as much as this was a story, the Dundalk reaction to it was arguably a bigger story. Well, if you didn't see it coming, that's fine. But Dundalk definitely didn't see it coming. And that's obviously apparent from the statement. And um, yeah, they, 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 I'm slightly surprised that they went public with a statement uh, to voice their dissatisfaction. But I think... Um, I, What's to be gained from it? I, I, well, I, I, think, I think their point was, and I think that... There's a point of principle probably being established here that when they did lose Stephen Kenny um, for nothing uh, due to there was a area, there was enough grey area around his contract that facilitated that, and I think that they did they, they have said that the approach to Rory Higgins didn't come through the channels you would expect for for someone under contract. Now, I always have a general view when it comes to, to contracts and people in football that it's. You know, there obviously are rules there, but the if you know if they were fully enforced by everyone, one hundred percent, then no deal would actually ever happen. You know, like people talk all the time, but at the same time, um, this is it does involve a national football association, and we have a historical problem in this country with the issue of compensation, compensating people for employees. You know, at youth level, at, at you know from big root intentions between schoolboy and League of Ireland, and you know, between League of Ireland and England and, and between England and schoolboys and so on. So I think, you know, obviously if a national association has taken someone, they probably have to do it in such a way that it's, it's following as much as is possible following the guidelines. But um, that said, small bit surprised they went public with the statement on it, but they would feel they're entitled to, to draw the line in the sand and say, listen, if you come for anyone again, um, yeah. and, and just- properly. Just on, on Rory, obviously, if he, you know, best to look to him, as Vinny said as well, in Vinny Perth said in the piece, you know, no no issue, whatever, with Rory getting his job massive for him. But this is a little bit destabilizing for Dundalk. I know that they have ample time to get a replacement in. It's hard to pick straight away who your obvious replacement would be. And, you know, just they've had a they've had a, a good start to season. They obviously lost Shamrock Rovers, but it's it's uh, very early days. But it's not ideal for them either to have to break up uh, a management team that was obviously doing very well. No, no, it's not ideal. And I mean, they do have time to sort it out. And it is almost like I said, it's almost like the tax that's been charged on the successful here that like you lose your manager. Yeah. Then people like people crave the staff that have been part of this remarkable success. And, and then, you know, Rory Higgins has gone. Stephen O'Donnell has left, you know, went last year. So like you, you're, you're, this is the, this is the almost the price you pay for that is that your people are, are sought after and they have to use this time now and it looks like they will have a fair bit of time, you know, to, to find their next person. But there'll be people listening to this and have much sympathy for the dog who, like, if you're Bose, you've lost that ah, yeah, yeah. you know. And unfortunately, this is the food chain. This is the circle of life. It starts at the top. 
and it goes down and the dog may take someone from somewhere else and they'll take someone from somewhere else and that's what happens and the one thing is um they've got a bit of time to figure it out it hasn't happened midway through a season and of course this would have been brought forward from august when it would have normally have happened if the handover but i mean when people are talking about other things in the world johnny like this is a, a minor a minor grievance for the dog but a, I understand why he had to make a point. But um, listen, hopefully we will be back to discuss this in, in, in more detail uh, in the future. We do welcome all the feedback we got last week. Any messages and... and uh, we'll be running reruns now from next stuff, week, from stuff, the 2016 stuff, season. Any, any, any issues people want us to cover, we are always uh, open. You know, People are entitled to know Dear what they Dan. want to listen to when they go around the garage. Maybe you can offer that service of ringing people, Johnny, and talking to them if they're... If they're vulnerable, you know what we should do. We know what we should do next week. We should do like a Tommy Tiernan like show, but but flipped around where we ring the guests and he or she has no idea we're going to call, and that's our show. Yeah, we'll work on that. We'll, 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 talk, we'll talk about this again, John. Thanks for listening. But there are limits.